Well, it's time for us to now open up God's Word. It's been good to sing together and worship the Lord. But as a regular part of our service, we, we always, when we gather together as a body of believers, we always open up God's Word and see what He has to say to us, what God has revealed that He wants us to hear and to know today. And, and even before I get into that, I just want to say I so miss seeing you all here when we gather as a body. Now, I'm, I'm here in our what will be our auditorium, and um, I've got to do this now. This is the 10th time that we've recorded a service like this, but I haven't got to preach to a group of people yet in this room, and I am so excited that that day is coming when I hope every one of you will join with us and we'll be here to worship and we'll be here to look into God's Word together. Because God's Word doesn't change. It's not dependent upon uh, how we meet or when we meet or, or who is even meeting. But for us, for, for me, I'm very, very excited to gather with you and to worship and to praise the Lord together. Today we're going to be opening up God's Word uh, again to the book of 1 Peter. We've been studying through the book of 1 Peter. And what, de- what Peter is going to deal with today is the concept of suffering and how we as followers of Christ, at times we, we experience suffering in our following of Him. And I know that this passage of Scripture is going to be an encouragement to you. Haven't you found that that life is difficult right now? I mean, like in a first world problem kind of way. You know, whether you're, you go to Walmart and, and everybody's wearing those masks and, and it's just strange. You know, you, you can't see people's uh, facial gestures. You, you might see someone that maybe you recognize, but you're not really sure who they are. And um, as we mentioned in the advertisement, really, for this morning, our Facebook uh, inv- invitation to our, to our worship service, you go to Chick-fil-A and you've got to wait a half an hour to, to get there. And of course, every restaurant is that way. And so some of the things that, that we used to appreciate so much have now been taken away. And, and I find it's very hard. It's difficult in a first world kind of way. It's, it's hard to, to remain patient. It's, it's hard to, to not slip into just a, a crankiness and a, and a difficult attitude. And that's the way that suffering can be. Now, I hesitate as, as we talk about the book of 1 Peter to call what we're experiencing now suffering. But in some ways it is. And as we're going to see today, God has much to say to us about how we suffer, why we suffer, where we suffer, and how God is going to use it. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, quite a few verses here to kind of set the context for what we're going to talk about. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse number 8. This is what Peter writes to, to this church. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, Bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now Peter is writing this letter to a church that is experiencing a great deal of suffering. So this passage is going to usher us into the environment where suffering is occurring. Peter's readers are suffering. They're, they're suffering alienation and persecution and, and abuse and even death. Peter's first addressing his suffering that occurs within the body of Christ. He's going to deal with that kind of suffering first. And then he's going to talk about what's going on inside of the believer when he or she is experiencing suffering. And then lastly, he's going to deal with how to handle the suffering that comes from the unsaved world and directed towards followers of Jesus. So there's a wide range of suffering that we can experience and, and it can come from a variety of sources in our lives. I mean, when is a time when you have suffered? Think about that for a moment. Has there been a time in your life when you have suffered? I'm sure there is. Let me just prod you with a few ideas. Maybe it was physical suffering. Maybe an illness or an injury. Or maybe you've been attacked by another person physically and suffered and maybe it was for jesus there's emotional suffering like that that a parent may go through over a wayward child or or a spouse may go through over a wayward spouse there is abuse that can come from the hands of other people there's neglect there's even persecution and this is when we suffer for the name of Jesus. We can suffer for doing wrong. We can suffer for doing nothing. We can suffer for doing what is right. We can suffer in the church. Yes. In the body of believers. We can suffer. And we can suffer in the world. But we need to know. As we even enter into this. We need to remember that Jesus Christ. Suffered. For us. Hebrews says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him being his father who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. 
And this very passage we're going to look at today is going to end with verse number 18, where it says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, we know that Jesus suffered, and we can look at the suffering of Christ, and we can know that God can use the worst suffering imaginable laid upon the most innocent individual in all of history. This is Jesus at the cross, and God can use it. If God can use that, imagine what He can do with your suffering and mine. Now, as I said, this this passage is going to deal with how to handle suffering, how to handle suffering within the church, how to handle suffering inside of you when you're going through it, and how to handle suffering in the world. Now, I want to say something about a really a troubling reality. And that is that sometimes people do suffer in the church. And I, as I think about the, the platform that we are using right now, there are many of you who have joined with us in the last 10 weeks. Maybe some of you have never been even at Centerpoint Bible Church. You've only been part of our Facebook interaction. And some of you maybe have really been abused and suffered through the body of Christ. And I, I want to say a special word to you before we get into this passage. I, I was talking with a friend one time, and he told me he thinks he's suffering from religious PTSD. Here's what he meant. He had been really abused, not in a physical sense, but in an emotional, spiritual sense, within a church environment in his years of growing up. And he said now, when he's around this church, Christianity, he feels anxious. And he said, it's like I've got religious PTSD. (laughs) I'd never heard that term before. Listen, if that's you today, I want you to understand that I don't care what has been done to you, what has been said to you, how you've been mistreated. This is not the character of God to do this to his children. I want to invite you back to Jesus and to see that what may have been done to you was done by sinful creatures and and we need to be forgiving and understand that that we can hurt others and be encouraged by Peter's words first of all about suffering within the body of Christ and that's where he starts in verse number eight he says finally all of you in the context of suffering he says all of you and he's going to call us to have five attitudes and one action in regard to how we treat those in the body of Christ even in the midst of suffering that's the context here it's all about suffering right now And what Peter's going to deal with is suffering within the body of Christ. And he mentions five attitudes that we need to have even when we are suffering. And these five attitudes, actually, if we live them out, will protect others from suffering. Let's walk through them quickly, okay? He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. That's the first one. Unity of mind. This is verse number 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity of mind, your, your translation may say harmony. This does not mean that we will all agree on everything all the time. That's not the case at all. 
but we are unified on primary things. So we can have disagreements about secondary things, but when it comes to primary things in the body of Christ, we have unity of mind. Jesus is the Christ. The Bible is the Word of God. It directs our lives. Salvation is found in no other. I am to love God and love others. These things are the primary things. And we agree on these things. So we have unity of mind. So secondary things don't matter. We can put those aside. This is what unity of mind means. See, when we live that out, others are not forced to suffer within the body of Christ. But when we violate this, when we elevate secondary things, I mean, it's stereotypical to speak of the color of a carpet in the church. People have, churches have split over this. That's elevating secondary things above primary. That's not the unity of mind. And there will be suffering, unnecessary suffering, when that happens. Let's move along. Secondly, Peter says, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy. Now, the first one is to have unity of mind. Sympathy means to have unity of feeling. That's what it means. Same feeling. And in the context, I believe it means the same feeling that my brother or sister may be feeling at the time. Romans says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we bring that kind of an attitude to the body of Christ, we don't force others to suffer alone. We suffer with them. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.3. He says, remember those who are in prison. And in the context, I believe this is those that, are in, that have been arrested because they are followers of Christ. They're being persecuted. The writer says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. This is the model for how we are to experience this kind of togetherness. Same feeling. Unity of feeling. When we practice this, when we have this attitude, suffering in the body of Christ is diminished. But when we raise ourselves up, lifting secondary things above primary, we force people to suffer even in the body of Christ. It says then, have brotherly love. This is like a family. We're to be connected with one another. Sometimes our relation, often the relationships that we form within the body of Christ grow deeper than that even in our natural family. It's a, it's a, it's a reality of the family of God. Paul wrote that, that we are not to rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a Father, see how we treat the older men in the body? Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. You see, the body of Christ is meant to be like a family. So we, we strive together. This diminishes suffering. But when we violate it, we, we cause others in the body of Christ to suffer. Moving along, he says that we should have a tender heart. This means to live compassionately. We're sympathy meant to share feelings with one another. Compassion means that we're compelled to respond. Jesus, when he saw the masses, he was moved with compassion and he would heal them. In Matthew chapter 14, you can read about that. And then finally it says, have a humble mind. I've been studying the word humble of late and here's what it means. To be humble means to recognize I am created. 
That's what it means. I'm not God. I am a created being. We're to have a humble mind. I'm created just like you're created. That means I'm no better than you. We are all creatures. This is what is to describe the family of God. And when we live this out, there won't be this suffering that Peter is, is really speaking about. In the context of suffering, he's talking about how we are to live with one another within the body of Christ. Now, I'm careful not to say within the church here, although I could, and it would be theologically accurate. I'm trying to say the body of Christ so that you see this is with other people who are believers. And we have one action that Peter talks about. Five attitudes, one action. You see it there? He says, but on the contrary, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. Do good to people who do evil to you. In this context, he's saying within the body of believers. So if a fellow Christian does you wrong, don't repay evil for evil. Give that to the Lord. Let him be the avenger. He knows all things. He knows what happened. Be unified about primary things. Put secondary things like yourself aside. Love God, love others first. And have a humble mind. A humble heart. Same feeling. I want to give you an example of this gone wrong. And some of you heard, have heard me tell this story before. I call it the macaroni and cheese divide. There was a, there was a friend of mine who was uh, interacting with the leaders of a church. And they were telling that there was a time when their church was, was just packed. It was so filled up. And, and the, the whole reason that they were having this conversation is that this, the church leaders were selling their building. And so my friend asked the church leader, what, what happened? What happened? What, what happened to your church? It used to be a growing body of believers, and now you're done. What happened? And the church leader said, well... It all came down to a plate of macaroni and cheese. This is a true story. They had a church social. Two ladies in the church both brought macaroni and cheese. This sounds like a sitcom or something, but it really happened. They both thought that they made the best macaroni and cheese ever. And the church divided over who liked the particular plate of macaroni and cheese. And it split the church. Because they took a secondary thing and made it primary. Listen, careful how you treat one another. Careful how you, how you react with other believers. Have what Peter has called us to. And don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But bless that you may obtain a blessing. So that's the first arena the first environment that Peter deals with. He's going to talk about persecution. He's going to talk about really being hurt and damaged because of the name of Christ. But first, he goes to the body of believers and warns them that they don't cause others to suffer through five attitudes in one action. Now let's go to verse number 10 and just briefly look at this. 
Peter here is quoting from Psalm chapter 34, 12 through 16. And I just want to read it, and I, I want to tell you, this is, this is what goes on within the heart of a person who is suffering. This is Peter's encouragement to you as you go through suffering. Have these truths in your spirit. And I'll point out just two things about it to be brief. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good deeds, days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And here comes the two pieces I want to point out to you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Inside of you and I, when we experience suffering, here's two truths we need to hold on to. One, that God is where the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The context is that of suffering. When going through suffering, know that God sees. Sees completely. He knows your heart. He does know what you're experiencing. He does know that you're all alone. He does know the malicious intent of the other who's doing you wrong. He knows all of that. He sees it and he is aware of it. You are not alone in your workplace, in your home, in your community. Wherever it might be, God is with you. He sees you. And second piece is his ears are open to your prayer. What does this mean? God hears, he sees, and he hears our, our prayers we can trust God's goodness. That not only does He hear us, but we're going to see in just a moment here, He blesses us. As we trust Him through this suffering, God brings blessing into our lives. The blessing may not be what you expect. It may not be the absence of suffering. It may not be money or wealth or power or prestige. It may not be any of those things. But we know that He sees and that he hears. And then Peter now moves to what we would have anticipated him to deal with. It, it should surprise you where Peter went. As you understand this church is going through persecution, you would think that Peter would drive right to that basket. He would deal with, what, is, what are we going to do about you being persecuted by the Roman authorities? But that's not where he goes. First, he goes to the body of Christ. He wants to create an environment where we don't cause each other to suffer and we're also there to help our brothers and sisters through suffering. So that's where he goes first. We already dealt with that. And then he goes to the inner man or the inner woman and deals with what should be going on in our heart, in our spirits while we're going through suffering. And now he deals with what about those times when we're suffering in the world that Christ is, is the creator of. So suffering in the world of Christ, in the world of unbelievers. How do we handle that kind of suffering? Now, let me say, the five attitudes remain. The one action remains. Also, we, we still rest on the truth that God sees and God hears. But now, Peter is going to bring a few more truths 
to bear. Verse number 13. Let me read 13 and 14, and then we'll talk about it. He writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We have now moved from within the body of Christ, beyond your inner man, into the world. And Peter is now going to give us some some helpful ideas of how to do this suffering in a way that honors God. And the first thing, an overarching truth is, don't fear. Don't fear. I mean, he, he directly says it, have no fear of them. We do not need to see that, that suffering is, is a part of, of an evil plan. We need to recognize that God is using suffering. Even your suffering. Even the times when you suffer from the, the actions or the words or, or whatever it may be of an unbelieving world, God is using that. He is using that. See, if God has called us to be like His Son, and He has, we need to remember that His Son went to the cross. And after the cross, experienced a great joy, Hebrews says. Jesus said this, if the world, this is John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We should not be surprised that suffering comes, but we don't need to fear it. Suffering and harm is very much possible for you as a follower of Christ. But good is guaranteed. That's what this passage says. Look, it says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. See, we need to know that that God sees and hears. Remember, we saw that. And here he promises to bless us. See, when we suffer, and it's God's will that we are suffering, when we are experiencing this rejection or whatever it may be, we need to see that God's will is being extended into our lives, and it's including suffering. But God's will is an extension of God's character. God's will is an extension of God's character. So He is good. And he is allowing suffering to come in your life. So he's going to use it for good in your life. Romans 8, 28, 29. That good is conforming you to the image of Christ. So no matter what may come, we can trust the reality that goodness is guaranteed because we are suffering under the will of God and God's will is an extension of his character and he is good. This should remove all fear from us. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 29. And run it through this suffering grid. 
Here's what he says. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side with your brothers and sisters for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything by your opponents. Now hear what it says. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Do not fear. Your courage in the midst of suffering, your courage in the midst of persecution, is a testimony to your persecutors. When they see that you stand courageously, that you have brothers and sisters in one mind with you, with one feeling, and you are unified in Christ, and you do not fear what may be done to you. This passage says that God will use that to wake them up to the gospel. This is the plan of God. It's part of the blessing of God. That as we are persecuted, our response is a testimony to our persecutors. So don't fear suffering and harm is possible but god guarantees that he will use this for good then moving along quickly at verse number 15 it says but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you see when we when we go through this persecution or suffering whichever it may be Whichever you may be encountering, whether you, be in suffer, whether you are suffering just as a follower of Christ, or you're suffering for doing what's good, or you're suffering for, for not doing something, whatever the suffering may be, what we can know is this. Confusion and questioning by others is very much possible. People are going to look at you and scratch their head and say, how do you have joy? How are you content? How do you have peace? How, how is this in your life? Confusion and questioning is possible, but hope in the midst of that is very unique. So we are ready and prepared to give the reason for the hope that is in us to make a defense, Peter says. To anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now what is that hope? What is that hope? I trust that that hope is Christ. If you're able to go through suffering with peace, to go through suffering and be content, to go through suffering and have joy, know today that is not in your strength. You're not, you're not experiencing your suffering in that way because you're something special. No. Those are simply the fruits of the Spirit. This is Christ working in you. When you can have joy in a marriage that is struggling, when you can have peace in a job that is struggling, when you can have content, when your physical body is struggling, those things, the presence of those truths, those fruits of the Spirit are not fruits of you. They're fruits of Christ. 
So you give the reason for your hope. When people say, how do you keep going? Don't, don't give some chicken to the soul reason for this. No. Say, this is Christ working in me. This is God working in me. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Give the reason for the hope that is in you when suffering. That's unique. It's not because you are strong or mighty or wise. It's because the Spirit of God is alive in you. And lastly, just just know this. In verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 16, it says this. And having a good conscience. So in the midst of the suffering, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, and those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. See, slander and threat, it's possible. It's possible. In the midst of suffering, we may be slandered, We may be threatened, we may be harmed, we may be persecuted. The readers of this letter knew that it was very likely that they would have to give up their lives because of Jesus. But what the writer is calling us to is to realize that those things are possible, but God's glory is supreme. So in the midst of your suffering, you're living out what Peter called us to in verse number 12. When he said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. These are people who don't know Christ. Honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Listen, times right now are a challenge to us. And you may be suffering. And if you are, I, I hurt with you. But I want to encourage you that God is using what you're going through. He is. He's using it in your life. He'll use it in the lives of others. Maybe you haven't suffered well up until now. Listen, today's a brand new day. Look to Christ. He sees you. He hears you. And all that we're going through falls under the umbrella of his plan. When we gather together, what we do at the end of our time in God's word is we remind ourselves of the Great Commission. And it, these words, again, will be an encouragement to you as it relates to our message of suffering. So hear it and allow God to encourage you today with Jesus' last words before he ascended to be with the Father. When Jesus said to his believers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, all this falls under his plan. Even our suffering, he's using it. So he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age.